0: another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host Damien Abraham and once again I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, huge guest everyone, David Cross from the show's Mr. Show, Arrested Development. Alvin and the Chipmunks, one of my kids' favorite things, too, so there you go. More on that in a second, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can write me an email. I try hard to get back to him. It's hard sometimes, but I I will try and get back. If you also want to get in touch with me in the immediate, you can hit me up on various forms of social media, at left for damien L-E-F-T-F-O-R-D-A-M-I-A-N. And, uh, yeah, you can also go over to Facebook.com, and you can like the Turned Out of Punk Facebook page. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You'll get any messages you have to me. Uh, You can also go over to Tumblr.com, or I guess it would be TurnedOutofPunk.tumblr.com, and you can find the Turned Out of Punk Tumblr page where we post stuff that gets sent into the show, stuff about the show, various other things on there. So if you use Tumblr, follow that. Type thing. I think we use, we even post the podcast on there too. So if you use Tumblr, you know, follow that Tumblr. Uh, and also you can uh, subscribe to this podcast by going over to iTunes.com. If you're an iTunes user, please do this. And also if you're an iTunes user and enjoy this podcast please rate and write a review for it on your iTunes page. That would be awesome and a really great way to help this podcast out. Another great way to help this podcast out is just by telling other people about it. If you like the stuff that we do here um, and, you know, if you've come to just check out David Cross, there's been... Believe me, a lot of amazing other episodes that are worth checking out. You know, people that come up in this episode, other people that don't come up in this episode. So, why not subscribe on iTunes and and take a gander through some of the archives? And also, while you're looking on there, you might notice that there are two other shows. In that feed? Well, there are. There is Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by myself and my good friend, and your good friend, Chris O'Toole. And each week we dissect the Turned Out of Punk episode and kind of get really nerdy. If you think this show today is nerdy, you got to wait for the Turned Out of Punk footnotes about this show. That will be super nerdy. There is also on there a brand new show hosted by Tom Bryan and myself called clobber in time and it is a wrestling podcast where we have other guests from the world of music on we've had gerard cosloy uh nikki from the band nothing we have a huge guest this week on the show but i don't want to say who it is yet because we haven't recorded it yet but trust me it's gonna be awesome and we just uh yeah talk about wrestling on there so it's a fun fun other podcast if you like wrestling if you don't like wrestling you're probably not gonna like clobber in time but if you do check it out Speaking of checking things out, today on the show, check it out, David Cross is the guest. David has been in tons of things, TV shows, movies, uh, you know, comedy albums, books, TV specials, all sorts of stuff. But he's always been someone who's been really cool and able to do things... You know, when I've asked him to do things like like be on a fucked up benefit record or be on this podcast. The reason I kind of thought it would be awesome to have him on this podcast is recently Henry Owings from Chunklet Magazine posted a clip. Actually, I think he posted it a while ago. I think I just re-saw it again recently. But in this clip, it's a young Ru- RuPaul playing with RuPaul in the U-Hauls. And at one point, the guitar player uh, pulls out a cigarette and is being interviewed. And who leans in to light the guitar player's cigarette? But David Cross. So I had to find out the deal with this video clip. I had to find out about RuPaul and David Cross being friends in Atlanta in 1982 and all this sort of stuff. And here it is for you, everyone. I'm not going to waste any more of your time blathering on, telling you how I met David and all that kind of stuff. You can find all that out on Turned Out of Punk footnotes this week, because I assure you, I will blather on on that show with no mercy. So listen to that at your own risk and your own peril. But for this show, I will let you sit back, relax, and enjoy David Cross on Turned Out a Punk. David Cross, thank you so much for joining me. As I just said, literally before I press record off air for another one of my harebrained schemes,
1: because this is the second time uh, I've dragged you into something. Um, well, you didn't drag me into it. So, uh, uh, and hairbrain is relative. Scheme? I'll give you scheme. 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 Okay, scheme. Okay, well, at least I got uh, one
0: out of three ain't like, bad.
1: That's like uh, something the little rascals did to earn 20 cents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah.
0: Well, it's a podcast. Happy to be a part. Well, thank you. It's a podcast, and I have not figured out how to monetize it yet. So I would settle for a little rascal's twenty cents right now. Um, well, you should uh, you should um,
1: subscribe to podcasts that uh, are solely there to help one monetize their podcast. Exactly. I think they're it's uh, nineteen ninety nine American. And uh, um, well, I want. Yeah, and you get a. Go
0: ahead. No, uh, so, no. I want to say I want you to know. Speaking of paying for podcasts and such, that I one time received the first time I ever received an iTunes gift card, I spent it on the audio version of your book, where you berated me the entire time for buying an audio version of your book. There you go. There <laughs> so, you go. And it, look, I think look it what was, happened. Yeah, I was. I think it was twenty bucks then too. So,
1: um, well worth it. Well oh, worth it. It was. Uh yeah you got it for free let's uh let's not uh i got i got the card for free
0: but i still i could have spent that on any number of mp3s that i could have that is true that is absolutely true
1: you know yeah uh and and i got Do you here think la- the person that gave you the card would be disappointed to learn how you spent it
0: uh to be honest with you i think they've been fu- since fired from the apple corporation so i think they'd be disappointed that i didn't find a way to spend more of it somehow
1: so. so they're uh, oh, this is like a little thing under the table. This is a little something on the slide from uh, <laughs> well, from, uh, somebody at the Genius Bar. No, I don't want to. I don't want
0: to, you know, toot my own horn. But I actually won a uh, award, and in, in the gift bag for winning the award was a twenty dollars iTunes gift card that was handed to me by an iTunes person with an iPod. I should say too. So I got an iPod out of it
1: as well. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes a little difference. But we are going um, down some tangents. I'm surprised that iTunes didn't go out of business. Uh, by giving you that $20, I I guess that explains why it wasn't a, you know, it was a prestigious award, why it wouldn't give you a $50 gift card, because, yeah, then things are tight over there, I think.
0: Canadian prestigious. Um, It's Canadian prestigious, right? $20. Um, But, David, this is not why I have you here. I have you here, because I have to ask you a very important question. When was the first time you ever... Came across the genre of punk rock. Do you remember the first time you heard it or, or saw about it anywhere?
1: Um, geez, let's see. Uh, I, you know what? I don't. I just. I have. Uh, I. I can't remember. Uh, like being. Um, I would have been thirteen when. Uh. uh, uh the uh, Sex Pistols came. Oh, I guess. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna guess here, and and obviously it didn't leave it like, you know, uh, it wasn't an uh, uh, an amazing epiphany or anything, but um, I do remember watching uh, Elvis Costello on Saturday Night Live live mm-hmm. when he started. Um, I can't remember what the song was that he started, and then he went into Radio Radio, and that the the, the not necessarily the music, although the music was. Uh, uh, amazing and immediately engrossing and, uh, and, and pivotal, but, uh, just seeing somebody on TV subvert TV like that, uh, and knowing it was live was, that was a real crazy moment. I'm guessing I would have been about 15, maybe. Um, when that happened, I'm not sure you'd have to look it up whenever he was on. I, yeah. Uh, I think
0: it's 82 or no, it's 81 or something? No, that's got
1: to be before 82. It must be before it. Yeah. It's got to be. Because I remember getting getting Armed Forces. That was one of the Mm -hmm. early albums I got. Mm -hmm. um, And, like, you know, with my own money going to the mall and stuff. And uh, it would have been before that, so in, in um, Atlanta
0: like do you remember the sex pistols cuz they played there was that on the news and stuff when they made the when they made it
1: to it, it, it was but um i was i was young and they were kind of uh uh scary Absolutely. you know that i was i was too too young uh and i know that there are plenty of people who you know were younger than i was who were you know uh uh didn't weren't uh, fearful isn't the right word but were you know Uh, where it was intimidating or daunting. And, uh, but for me, I, that thing was like, uh, you know, like uh, I just, I just bought into the the stupid hype on local television news and keep in mind this is Atlanta in the seventies. So it wasn't the most uh, enlightened time or group of people. And, you know, it was like, uh, you know, the, the, however they framed it, but it was a very, you know, security will be tight tonight. You know, <laughs> was these, you know, they, they basically were implying it was, you know, it was a lot like, uh, uh, years later when the, the punk episodes of Quincy and chips came out, which yep. we could all laugh at then. We were, we were older, but, um, it was that kind of thing where like, you know, uh, security will be on hand because, uh, these kids who go to these shows like to stab each other and, you know, that kind of feeling and what's wrong with society today. Uh, uh, and I, you know, I was, you know, 13 Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, I bought into that, you know? Well, I don't blame you. I,
0: much later when I saw it, you know, they had swastikas on, it's like, it's, it's very confrontational and fearful as a young person. Were were kids at school talking about it too? Was it like it kind of like an
1: air of fear on this thing that was happening or no because i mean really most nobody was that into it that was my age group i mean probably i would imagine you know kids in high school seniors juniors they were into it mm -hmm. uh but like you know again i was in whatever grade that is i don't know eighth grade something like it just wasn't part of our i was just too young for that and uh um and I'm assuming they were there in '77. I'm guessing because it was one of the first American. It, it was it was the first American yeah, show, right? Yeah, I think the show. Yeah, great right Eastern Music Hall. I think. Yeah. Um, and I do remember it being talked about, but not by not by my peers. We were like, you know, comic books and Monty Python and stuff. <laughs> we were we were and you know I, I mean we were listening to fucking I don't know Doobie Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> when you're 13, like, your friend's older brother has shit, you know, and yeah. we were listening to that, and, uh, uh, it just seemed, uh, I was definitely, um, a little brainwashed and biased by the, the news reports and how people, how adults talk about it, and was, so it came off to me a little, uh, jarring and, and not pleasant to listen to, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I wasn't listening to the words, and they didn't mean much anyway, it didn't really resonate, but, uh. Um, obviously when I got older, uh, and literally just a few years older after that, I mean, it became very important, but, uh, back then it was just a weird, you know, strange subculture. And remember those movies, like, uh, do you remember, Did you ever seen, I think it was called, oh, class of 84. That Ab- was it. Filmed oh. in Toronto with Michael J. Fox.
0: Absolutely. Was that Michael J. Fox? Yeah, Michael J. Fox is one of his first roles and also features uh, Hamilton punk band Teenage Head is the punk band that plays in it.
1: I don't remember that. I just remember, I think it was Vince Van Patten, right? Wasn't he the bad guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they just, I loved it because it was the same thing as the Chips punk episode mm-hmm. where like, literally just, you know, they went down to Ricky's <laughs> on, uh, uh, you know, on 8th Street or something in Manhattan and bought a shitload of... Uh, uh, you know, Manic Panic uh, green <laughs> hairspray. You can see it like coming off of them. <laughs> just the dumbest... Oh, God, that well, shit. So you're... anyway, yeah, that was the era of, you know, what I was. how I was introduced to punk. It was this like terrible thing that was warping kids' minds and why would they do this to each other? And, you know, mm-hmm. I, as I said, initially when it came out, it was kind of scary, but uh, really just years later, it was... Uh, it was, and now it's fucking benign. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. the most, you look at the shit that people were scared of or people, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. And it is, is a good thing that, you know, the music that my friends and I listened to when we were 16, 17, 18, uh, and we were, you know, called fags and that music is fag music and pussy and blah, blah, blah And, um, You know, that's like, totally, it's like classic hits now. That's like selling, you know, they sell (laughs) carnival cruises and, you know, blue jeans and shoes and uh, sports drinks with. But back when that came out, it was all like, faggot listening to that stuff and, you know. Well, it's even weirder in 2016
0: where you have indie rock has become kind of like the Trans Am rock of the current
1: day. Oh, it was, I think you could make an argument for, 2013, yeah. 2012, yeah. really. <laughs> I remember hearing that there's a song that I I absolutely loathe, and it's not necessarily the song itself. It is where I was when I heard it, although I don't care for the song really at all, but it, it's really about, it was like the saturation point for me of that kind of music. Um, and I remember hearing it, and and thinking they this band wrote this song to sell like ipods or blue jeans or uh nissan maximas or something like i, I remember hearing the song going they don't it, it's it's called the um goddamn uh what is it it's like the most williamsburgy uh <laughs> um it's can't remember their name but the song is you know uh oh uh uh, 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 uh uh oh, these are the best days. of you know, like famous yeah. authors or something is the name of the Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of
0: the band, but I it, think it is yeah. famous authors. I, I think you got it.
1: The is it best famous authors?
0: They use it to sell lottery yeah. tickets in Canada. It say what? They use it to sell lottery tickets in Canada. It's like used as a sync for a lottery ticket commercial.
1: Yeah, there you go. It sounded when I when I heard it, and again it's not necessarily that song per se, although yeah. I don't care for it. It's it was the 500th of that type of song that I had heard. That was just bullshit. Uh, and it, to me, it sounded like they got together and say, Hey, I want to get laid. I want to be famous and I want to be, make a shitload of money. How can I do this? Hey, let's write a song, you know, that we know is going to, we can sell to some, you know, an advertising company and, uh, it, that's what it sounds like to me. That sounds yeah. like the genesis uh, of that song. And again, I don't know these people. I don't know if that was it, but that's what it sounds like <laughs> to me. And, you know, that's the opposite of art.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's funny because, like, yeah, like you think, like, that same motivation set that you brought up is probably what motivated Iggy to form the Stooges, you know, back in the late 60s. And it's, it's amazing to see in 2016. It's like the path to that is through a sink for a commercial.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't, I, I really don't begrudge, and I've said this before, I don't begrudge uh, really the guys who fucking paid their dues and paid their dues hard. You know, uh, 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 like fucked up, you know, like, like bands that know what it's like to spend years uh, making little money, You do it for the love you know your your situation is comfortable you're crammed into a van and you know you're eating Slim Jims and Doritos and and you know and for for a uh, a band like that or a songwriter like that to get an opportunity especially and kind of specifically in the uh uh you know the 2012 13 14 15 16 to make some money uh uh, I, since the concept of selling out doesn't exist anymore, it hasn't for a long time, I, I'm like, yeah, go right ahead. Like, when I heard, um, you know, Modest Mouse, there was a Modest Mouse song that was a car yeah. song. Yeah, like, that... yeah, fucking do it, man. Mm-hmm. Please, make as much money as you can, because the way you used to make money, the way you used to be rewarded, which was also, uh, you know, s- slim for a lot of people, um opportunities uh, uh, just doesn't exist anymore so this is the new way to be rewarded for your hard work and your sacrifice so go ahead and do it I just don't like the idea again referencing that other that other band um, and again it could be you know monsters of men or magic dragons or whatever the fuck it is yeah but it it sounds like the genesis of that song was let's make some fucking money <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, back back to you before before the cynicism set in and when it was still the optimism of finding this new music. Actually, I, before we get too into it, I, just because I'm interested in the comedy motivations, you mentioned Mon- Monty Python. What kind of comic books were you reading? What, were you a fan of Marvel or DC?
1: Um, I really, I, I wasn't. I had, I was a, a um, Mad Magazine, crack Plop. Do you remember Plop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh National Lampoon and you know it was it was a, it was a pretty quick and easy uh transition in National Lampoon and I was never I, I liked um Plastic Man which was uh I believe DC and I only knew that cuz my grandmom who was an antiquarian had this big book of like the history of comic books that probably I I mean I don't know that world, but I would imagine it was worth you know thousands of dollars, and who knows where it is now. But um, uh, uh, I just was never, and still am not into the fantasy world. Yeah. Um, I got into science fiction briefly for about five years, and, and and enjoyed what I read and that stuff. But I was never like I never played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I never, um, you know, was into uh you know x men or any of those things like it it just doesn't uh, appeal to me um uh and and not to say i don't have i have plenty of uh you know uh, of things that i consider um somewhat frivolous you know mm-hmm. uh ways that i spend my time video games maybe and uh um um but i got into i i really got into kind of that um you know, fanographics drawn in quarterly, those, that stuff. I was older at that point. Yeah. But that, that kind of comic, and, and, you know, I got way into, uh, again, this is getting, I was at, uh, I was like 20 at this point, but, uh, all the research stuff mm-hmm. and, um, and what was it? What is it? Semiotext? Is that the, se- semina, semina? Which one's that? I know research. There was
0: also, uh, Head press that would do like those little anthologies. I have one that was like all about no, this, Last House on Dead End Street or something.
1: No, this was like uh this is more of the kind of really subversive, like the 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 Church of the Subgenius. Type okay, stuff. And, okay. Uh, there, yeah. there were different publishing, and, I, and I'm like a Muck Press, I think. Yeah, yep. Um There's some I'm forgetting. I want to say Semina.
0: What about uh, Film Threat? Or? Were you ever into that?
1: Say what? Film Threat. And all that on, like, that whole
0: film threat kind yes.
1: of Yeah, Again, stuff. briefly, I didn't, like, uh, uh, and I, I guess I, I suppose I've never really dived into anything and become, you know, like, wrapped myself solely in that thing. But, uh, but it was definitely in a film threat. Um, again, that was a little older. That was getting yeah. older. But, um, yeah, like, I, I loved to Answer Me, yeah. uh, you know, but I was 20. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. If you're 40 and love Answer Me, then there's probably uh, some issues you know, have. <laughs> sorry scary. But true. when I was, uh, you know, out of Atlanta, out of the house, becoming a uh, an adult, you know, I I I really drew to all that stuff.
0: It's funny. I saw a guy one time with, like, a, a very clear Answer Me-inspired tattoo, like one of the graphics. Uh-huh. And it's like, and even then, in my 20s, I'm like, that's going to be there for life. <laughs> like, that's a... <laughs> A bold statement. Um, yeah. But back to the start of the journey. So you kind of see that, I guess, Elvis Costello, you said, was your breakthrough point where you're just like, I kind of am interested in this new music that's happening. Uh,
1: yeah, mentioned- I remember that. I remember leaving uh, and and uh, um, Fear, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. I remember seeing them on SNL, I guess, which was uh, uh, um, one of the only ways you could see that kind of music. Um, and I was not necessarily watching it for the music, but watching it for SNL because I was like, you know, huge comedy nerd. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, and I, I remember also seeing, I don't remember the show if it was solid gold or Don Kirshner's rock concert or some, something like that. Um, you know, back when there were three channels and they didn't even stay on all night. But, uh, I remember seeing thin Lizzie on one of those type of shows. Yeah. And this would—I would have been young. This would have been around, you know, the the Elvis Costello era, maybe you know, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I'm not sure, but uh, they were on the show that that you know, like American Bandstand type thing. And at one point, Phil Lynott takes uh, it just stops playing bass and starts kind of fake shooting it, you know, like yeah. at, at the crowd. Yeah, and you know there's it, when you're a kid when you're an adult you're like oh yeah they're just uh you know lip syncing and playing to this to the song and they're not really doing it but when you're a kid you know everybody's supposed to play along and pretend that they're doing it and this is the conceit of the show we're going to you know they're doing they're doing their performance or whatever but clearly it's taped and you know it's the recorded version and um and when you're a kid and somebody subverts that that i remember that being a holy whoa, mm-hmm. what, what? He's not, but he's, he's not even pretending. It was a, it's all, look what he's doing. He's showing us, you know, it was <laughs> like, you know, kind of teller kind of thing. And yeah. uh, uh, I remember that being a significant moment as well. Um, Absolutely.
0: So what were you kind of like at this point, um, are you, were, you, were there bands happening in your high school, new wave bands or power pop bands even, or, or punk bands for that matter? Um, not necessarily
1: in my high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I was always, um, uh, I kind of was friends with musicians even at a a younger age, like friends of mine were in bands and, and would start little bands. And, um, uh, my best friend in high school, you know, one, one of my closest friends uh, to this day, um, was in a prog rock band in Atlanta called Major Hayes. I was in 10th grade um what a great and then he eventually <laughs> yeah major Hayes um and then he became uh then he moved up to Boston where I was, and uh was in the cave Dogs, which were really big fun uh you know power pop uh band that was popular in Boston and uh, got signed to a major label and and uh just known for their amazing live shows and um and did stuff with them. Uh, I had a comedy group called cross comedy back then. And, uh, um, but anyway, um, back in high school, uh, it was, there were also, uh, uh, that was, you know, when rap was, uh, when the sugar Hill gang, uh, first came out was when I was in high school. And I went to, uh, I moved from Roswell closer into the city when I was, uh, 15 and, uh, went to the school of the arts there, which was, uh, Instrumental in my life, uh, uh, and not being hyperbolic at all, it was a a very important thing that happened. And uh, um, and then there were all of a sudden, I went from this.
0: What was it? uh, Sorry, like what was it like that made it important? Was it just like the exposure to different stuff or exposure to arts? I guess and
1: all that. Yeah, Yeah. I I went from being in a ninety nine percent white suburban, uh, overtly kind of Christian, um, public school in, in Roswell with, uh, where I, I struggled yeah. and, uh, uh, didn't get good grades to going where you were like humiliated on an almost daily basis, especially during PE or gym class or whatever. And, uh, um, and I went to a school that was, uh, like at, when I, it was as diverse, it was, it was like. 50-50 down the line of, you know, economic class and white and black and, uh, you know, Asians and, uh, uh, you know, men, girls, boys. I mean, it was really, like, pretty even with a, a, um, everybody being represented. And it was a school of the arts, so I didn't, all of a sudden, my elective, which uh, the first year was musical theater and then I switched over to drama, you know, that was two hours of your day and there was no PE, there was no, none of that shit. And it was and you were with like minded people, you were with gay people uh who are openly gay in tenth grade back in georgia, and you know that just wouldn't happen in Roswell It's like at true least not when I was there, you know, yeah. yeah, and you know, I knew people that uh were in bands, but it wasn't like that well you know i i it was it was still a few years before I kind of got into that kind of scene. And, and even when I was in Boston, where I moved to after Atlanta, um, and I got very lucky as the whole, I mean, really crazy lucky. When you think about it, the whole, uh, Athens, Georgia thing, which kind of leaked into Atlanta just because of a proximity Mm -hmm. was happening when I was in high school. Then I moved to Boston for that explosion. And I mean, I, I was very lucky and fortuitous, and I got to see a lot of a lot of great stuff early on, uh, just by luck of geography, and uh, um, you know the, uh, uh, the when I it, it was um, to an embarrassing degree. I'm actually I, I I think it was a little desperate and somewhat pathetic sometimes. My my need to be validated by those kind of people uh, you know, you know, the, the, the people doing punk shows in in warehouses and lofts and shit like in Boston, that was, uh, and to a lesser extent Atlanta, but that was, there was a, I don't know how much of it was visible or discernible, but there was a, for me, a palpable kind of desperate need to be validated by those folks.
0: What you know, you, I, you you say that, and obviously I wasn't there. I have no idea what, what you 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 know felt like. But I, it's almost like you were building a bridge between two worlds that would really you know, like one of the people, like I think Gene Garofalo, and you know, like as far as comedy to alternative music outreach and kind of building up a, an alt comedy scene. That, you know,
1: yeah, there. It, you know, I I wasn't. Uh... Uh, first of all, it was not a concerted effort. And yeah. uh, I'm not saying that you're implying that, but, but it, it wasn't. It was just very natural. Yeah. And uh, and I was one of a, a number of people. And, uh, you know, there are other pe- people on the other side in the, the music world who would reach out to us, like, hey, man, we're doing this show. Do you want to, instead of having this band open, we thought you'd open. Or we'd do a whole night of stuff like that. and um, And there were these shows as I referred to before, like in, the um, kind of, you know, old warehouses in the South end of Boston. Um, uh, there was a place called house of Borax where we used to do all these shows. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a very kind of DIY punk aesthetic to the show, whether it was comedy music or both, mm-hmm. um, or theater too. Um, I remember John Ennis who was in, uh, uh, Mr. Show and, and cross comedy going back to, uh, and, and we were both in the same sketch group in college, uh, where he put on uh, death of a salesman. No, not that I'm sorry. American Buffalo. He put on American Buffalo at one of those things. And, you know, uh, so it was really, you know, it was just the aesthetic of, of getting together and doing that. And, uh, um, again, very natural, just sort of, we were all in the same community and, it's all the same hours, you know. Mm-hmm. You drive an hour out of town, you go to Leminster or Pittsburgh or wherever the fuck you're going, you do your set, whether it's stand up or music, and then you get, you know, fifty dollars cash under the table and uh um drive back home and everybody's drinking because you don't have to wake up until three o'clock in the afternoon. And that you know, those two communities uh you know, very much fit together. Mm-hmm.
0: What- like, I guess, what kind of shows were you... What kind of bands were playing there and shows that you were helping putting on? Was it stuff coming over? You mentioned Athens, and I guess that explosion was huge as far as American music goes. Was that... where those bands coming over and playing in Atlanta at that point? Or is it, like, touring bands from... Oh, the parts? Athens
1: bands? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because that's where the money was. And yeah. it was only a... You know, now it's like a 50-minute drive, but back then, before it was all connected, it's like, you know, an hour and... 20 minutes hour, 15 minutes ago, Uh, um, and you know, you play bands would open up for somebody at the Agora ballroom or when it was old or, you know, 688 or spring street or any one of those clubs. And, uh, um, and this whole scene, you know, Atlanta was, uh, really starting to, you know, that scene was starting to burble up. It was a very, uh, uh, gay-centric, uh, uh, and, and, you know, there's, there was very little, um, animosity between groups. You'd have, uh, like the clip that you mentioned, you know, you sent to me, uh, mm-hmm. um, of that show. It was like, it really was a melding of all these different, you know, all people who had been kind of marginalized in some way up to that point. Um, and that's one of the best things about Atlanta and the, um, and certainly what I got to experience is, you know, a scene. And back then, it, you know, I can't underscore this enough. There was, it was not safe for a lot of people. Like, you know, there was, uh, before it was called fag bashing, there was plenty of that shit. And you you would be severely ostracized in, you know, 1980 uh, mm-hmm. at a high school and, and certainly in the suburbs or, or more rural areas. But, you know, Atlanta didn't really seemed to have that it was uh uh very progressive in that way and it's a very gay friendly big city um and you know i got to experience that and uh uh I-, I feel like i've run circles around the question you asked me recently no
0: no no <laughs> i was just you... asking i kind of was just also just trying to get at like some of the
1: first... oh did those athens bands come yeah, down yeah, yeah all of them oh yeah
0: oh so what were some yeah. of the bands that you like first kind of bands that you gravitate towards like you know even locally or internationally beyond that Elvis Costello
1: oh yeah uh, well I would go see and and again keep in mind uh, you know teenage confused hormones but I would uh, I I would have a crush on who whatever uh, female lead singer would come through mm-hmm. I mean it didn't matter and uh, the fact that they were up there singing or playing bass or whatever they were doing. Um, and I had a, uh, fake ID, which back in those days didn't have holograms. And literally you would, uh, there would be a handful of people, you'd know, in, in school who had like a mini miniature photo thing or whatever. And they (laughs) would take a photo, blow it up. They'd, they'd, you know, laminate it and all that shit. And it was, if you looked at it now, you would laugh. It's like, that's clearly fake. (laughs) But back then you, you know, you could use it and get into clubs. And I knew one of the guys in that video that that you showed me um, was friends with a doorman at 688. So I could get into 688 with my fake ID. Um, And so I got to see a lot of, you know, cool shows and I would go I uh, the, the band I probably saw more than any other was Pylon I saw Pylon oh, yeah. a, a lot I saw um, gosh uh, uh, Now Explosion I would see them a lot and that was always like a party atmosphere um, and I saw O.K. a couple times which had Linda Stipe Mike Stipe's sister R.E.M. what what my favorite was that I cannot find but uh, two of my friends and I, uh, cut school and, uh, this is when I was in Atlanta going to school of the arts and my friend Craig Williams, uh, another guy and I, and, uh, we we're at the Piedmont Park Arts Festival. It used to be in the spring. And, uh, and there's just a photo of us on a little kind of rise watching REM, you know, which they weren't really big at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, they just pretty much come out with a single and remember there's a band called little tigers they were opening up for, okay. or vice versa, and Jason, Jason and the Scorchers, who later became Jason and the Nashville Scorchers, I yeah, yeah. remember seeing that show at uh, the Agora Ballroom, which doesn't exist anymore, and, you know, lots of little, lots of those memories.
0: So, uh, the video clip that we keep kind of bringing up and alluding to is that one of RuPaul and the U-Hauls performing, yes. and I've heard that it's your first stand-up comedy show, is that true, or
1: uh the first one i ever got paid i did um uh i did a couple you know uh, open mic sets uh and i started doing open mic sets at the punchline in sandy springs and uh and then that was the first time i uh did a set with a band i i have an old uh, uh like a mimeograph copy of an old uh creative loafing ad which is the arts weekly there and uh that's uh, the band I opened up for was called Mr. Phelps. Remember that, <laughs> which is the name of the guy on uh mission Impossible. Okay, um, yeah. and it's like, and you know, comedian David, C- and, and, uh, and then that show, uh, I'm not sure where that came in the chronology of it. It definitely was my first show, but it was a very, very early show. And my set was weird and esoteric and not very accessible or funny, but, um, you know, appeal to that kind of sensibility, I suppose. And, um, uh, and I knew those guys, I knew, uh, Robert Warren and, uh, um, uh, Todd was Todd Todd Butler and, uh, and RuPaul and those guys from that world and uh, Robert and I went to school together. Um, and you know, all great people, Todd passed, unfortunately, but, uh, all amazing, you know, fun, cool people. And we would do these, I remember Todd and I did a couple of these things on cable access, which is going to sound strange when I say this, but anybody that's my age or near my age knows that for almost a decade, the only place that you could actually air a kind of a weirdo show was public access. That was it. That's all you had.
0: Yeah, and, YouTube, YouTube for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: mean it was it was literally the only place you could do something like that and uh um and it was like that for quite a while and yeah. um and so there's this guy who had, you know, his public access show in in uh in Atlanta and Todd and I would go on there and do Weird characters that we make up, and uh, did that a couple times. And you know, again, it's all part and parcel of that kind of uh, community and aesthetic. And uh, um, everything. Other tapes of that
0: at all, or like I've never. Heard...
1: I have no idea. Wow. I mean, I'm talking like 1980, uh, 1980, 81, 82. That sounds amazing. Maybe 83 at the latest, but oh. you know, um, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, there were there. were Stupid things, you know, like you know, whatever, like, oh, we played guys who were abducted by aliens or just stupid and it was just, you know, it's that cheap shit and we're clearly putting on, you know, we're yeah, I got a fucking earring and a jufro, so I'm not you know, whatever. <laughs> but um you know, it was uh it was fun and uh um but yeah, that was one of my first certainly one of my first sets. I think the first set I ever got like twenty bucks and uh all the beer I could drink. <laughs> and really, at, when you're eighteen that is that's all you want. Yeah. That's really all you want. Unless you're uh Martin Shkreli and then that's not all you want. But uh, you know, it, it's uh it was fun. It was definitely fun.
0: Well like what was the uh you know, you, you talked about Python, Monty Python earlier. What were some of the other comic influences, especially stand up influences that were kind of pushing you to kinda of do that in the context of, you know, other sort of kind of subversive mm-hmm. stuff that was happening?
1: I, I would say the greatest overt influence on me was Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. and and then also influential but more subtly, I would say Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor and Stephen Wright and uh, Steve Martin, mm-hmm. uh, all all pretty pretty big in their own ways, and um, and Jonathan Winters too. You know, his I had this double album of Jonathan Winters and it I mean it's still it's just amazing his uh his ability to immediately and it wasn't like that like laugh out loud funny but it was so he would do these characters and just switch in and out of them and it was all it all felt completely improvised and it's just double album and it, it's it's amazing it was it was that was another one that was like holy shit and uh um but yeah, different people in different ways, you know.
0: W- was Andy Kaufman's wrestling stuff showing up on the Atlanta TV at all? Because it was Memphis, so I know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: oh, absolutely. That, the the wrestling was huge um, in uh, when I was growing up, and that was another thing that, you know, uh, back to the, the comics kind of thing, like, uh, and again, I'm not denigrating it in any way, but, uh, and I have a lot of friends and people that I, really respect her way in wrestling but i never got into it it just seemed so silly to me um you know it just seemed you know i i have a greater appreciation for it now and i i know about the the development of story and all that stuff but uh i just could never get into i suppose the 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 level of suspension of disbelief you had to engage in so um did you watch the Andy
0: Kaufman stuff as a as a comedy fan or were you already did you know about him or is oh that, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah
1: no this I'm going back I mean I saw him early early on mm-hmm. uh you know not live but on tv any other a thing mm-hmm. on pbs that was so, um it was kind of like uh, uh for how old I was and when I was watching stuff the same relationship I had with uh the Batman television series where yeah. I knew that it was arch before I knew what that word meant. I knew it was campy. I knew it was meant to be silly, but I didn't know the extent of the level. I, as I got older, you can really appreciate like all these layers to the jokes and the, how ridiculous it was. But you know, it worked on two levels. It worked when I was younger and it worked when I was older. And that's how Andy Kaufman was to me where it worked on a certain level, and then as I got older, I was like holy shit, what he's doing is amazing. Whereas I just saw it as weird and <laughs> funny, you know, odd.
0: What about SCTV? Was that something that played it all in the United States? Oh yeah, States? yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. Were you? Oh, that was that was big too. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, um, there was not a lot. You know, this is before cable. This is before this is like I guess this cable is starting to starting to be something. But you know, again, there were only a handful of channels and there's no internet and you know, I mean, you took your comedy where you could get it Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Absolutely. Um
0: Well, it's funny because like when uh, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall was on the show, he talked about how Mr. Show was kind of the birth of the American satire as far as main, on mainstream TV. Like that was like the, 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 the American television satire comedy. That's like the the big one that, that broke it to him when he saw it on TV. And it's it's amazing that like to find the influences there is that like history of subversive comedy throughout American comedy like you keep bringing up these stand up people and of course National Lampoon even Mad Magazine it's like mm-hmm, you know Yeah. Um. I guess like moving on from like kind of like when you were in Atlanta and you move up to Boston you mentioned like kind of the Boston music explosion was that stuff actually before did you meet John Worcester when you were down in Atlanta was he down there yet or not till later
1: no no I I started seeing Superchunk as a fan uh and probably saw them, I mean, I would guess a half dozen to a dozen times before I ever talked with them. Yeah. Uh, I was just a huge fan.
0: And uh, and then... Well, he played in some Atlanta bands, too. Like, he moved down there, but I guess it was probably maybe after you moved to Boston. And he played in a couple... I'm trying to remember which bands now. Um, but he was, like, down there kind of, like, in Athens, sorry, like, slugging it out, trying to get these bands going for a couple years in the I 80s. Was,
1: I was... I was gone by '83. I was in Boston okay, yeah. in the fall of '83. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think I'm, I'm I believe that the first time I ever met those guys was when I mean we could have done been part of the same festival maybe but I think the first time would have been around when I did the Watery Hands video with uh Jimmy uh, Garofalo and mm-hmm. that was done in New York. I was staying in New York at the time, uh, just, like, visiting there or whatever. And uh, um, and I believe that's the first time I met him. I, I could be wrong, though. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've, I've seen him so many times. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and, and, again, I would imagine that, you know, we are paths crossed at a festival or something. You know?
0: What about the savvy Fab? When was the first time you met them? That, um, first time, first time. Um, cause that chocolate seven inch came out a
1: while back. Right. What? Like not, like not I as far as we're talking about, but <laughs> I'm going to guess that, and I could be wrong again, but I saw them. There was a, there was a, uh, festival for a few years. I, I don't think they do it anymore. Coney Island called the siren festival. Okay. And they, they headlined the first year. um, I don't know if this is the first time, but it was certainly. That was one of those shows that I'll never forget, and it just was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And you know, Tim is like climbing the fucking light girder and you know, <laughs> yeah. putting beans on him, and he's and he's got you know ripping shirts off. He just was doing all kinds of crazy shit, yeah. and the band is fucking so good. And they're they're one of those bands that it's shocking how many people for a band that's not that uh mainstream successful how many bands they've influenced
0: oh yeah you know uh,
1: uh like when i think of you know just people who bite the sound like you know when you think of uh whether you like them or not uh you know uh, the strokes tool lasavi and and obviously tool and the Strokes are massive but um but you can hear their influences they're completely different groups but all over the place all over the place and, um, and you really can with lasavi Pop too it's 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 a bit shocking, but they never broke out the way those other two bands broke out but uh and the second, I thought you were saying the tool stuff.
0: was super influenced by Lesavi Fov, and I'm like, "Oh, how are we gonna get past this <laughs> no. point in the conversation?" <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> I'm like, i I'm just know. bringing up three disparate groups <laughs> yeah. that uh no, you know, are are hugely influential on other people, yeah, and you absolutely. hear their sound everywhere. Well, I
0: I think once I saw Tim, I was, I used to be way more aggressive with it. And I'm like, Oh, you can just have like, you know, Tim and Andrew WK were like the people that kind of showed me that you can just go out there and make a show super fucking intense, but still like, you know, not have to threaten everyone and not have to make it (laughs) a crazy, crazy show. Just threaten yourself. Yeah. Threaten yourself. You know, do, do unto yourself what you would not do to others. Um, as they say in the Bible, I think, uh, so I guess when you move up to Boston, did you did you know H. John Benjamin? Like, is that, did you meet him there? And you guys do comedy yeah. together there up there too, right? Yes,
1: yes, uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I, I moved there, and then I, I moved there to go to school. I took a year off between high school and uh, college, and I stayed in Atlanta doing stand up. I spent the whole year just doing. Awful, shitty road gigs, just awful. Um, a year of that fucking hell. But it was all important and uh, necessary. Um, and then I, you know, I also, uh, you know, I didn't have money to go to school and I, uh, the high school and release my transcripts unless they did community service. And I didn't uh, want to do that. I, the only school I'd been accepted to was Emerson. I was trying to go to NYU, but I said, fuck it, I'll go to Emerson. And, uh, and then went up there and dropped out almost immediately. But the I'm, you know, I made friends that are lifelong friends and, uh, um, John Ennis being one of them, we, there was this, uh, sketch group. And, um, he and I clicked. he was like my, when I was auditioning and he was already in the group and he was like my scene improv partner. And we just clicked immediately and became very close immediately. And, uh, um, and then i got you know still doing stand up and uh uh that what would become known as the alternative scene at least in boston uh started becoming formed and all those like minded people and we would all hang out and and there was a there was kind of one club for us there were tons of clubs but the one that was really specifically nurturing towards that kind of comedy was uh, catch a catch rising star in cambridge and you know, that was our clubhouse. And uh, and then uh, the guy who booked the the club, a guy named Robin Horton, uh was, you know, very nurturing. Uh, he, he was crazy, but uh, very nurturing to that kind of thing. And he would have a bunch of us host the open mic nights. Uh, um, and then from there, and I remember Mark Maron was, uh, really instrumental in this. He, he was, uh, you know, Robin had said, "Why don't you?" I, I can't remember. We had done like little. I, I was, as I said, Andy Poppin was a, an influence, and I used to go up before anybody knew who I was as different characters quite often. And I would have somebody, you know, the person introduce me, and I would had all these. I had a really nervous, uh, extremely fay first timer. I uh, was uh, called uh, Daniel what was it? Daniel James Napoleon. Uh, uh, that was a character I did. And, and then that kind of subverted itself and turned into something else. And then I would go up there as a, um, severely retarded guy who wanted to do comedy. And I would go up as, um, uh, a guy who had, who, uh, could only talk with one of those, like, nyang, 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 things you hold to your yeah, yeah and, yeah. uh, and just variations on weird characters and try to make the audience uncomfortable and and uh and then somebody suggested I turn some of these like ideas into bits and and then uh and Mark Maron was really instrumental in kind of pushing me towards that too and Robin suggested it and 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 then I formed this thing that would eventually become known as cross comedy, which was comprised of other stand ups and kind of sketch actors before they were sketch actors and uh um and we would, uh, it would be me hosting the open mic and then we would have, um, uh, the first like six months we did it, uh, we would have people who were plants in the audience. Uh, we we, again, we had variations of fake things and these people weren't stand-up. They're, they're like sketch actor guys. Daniel Terry Prusa would do one and, um, uh, Ed Driscoll and Grant Taylor. We had all these people, Paul Kozlowski and... John Benjamin, Sam Cedar, and uh, Lauren Dabrowski, and all these people, and they would do, you know, we'd write it. We'd actually write these bits out, and, and they'd be like the fifth comic up, and you would see this, or the audience would see a uh, parade of open micers, and then this person would come up, and the whole thing would just collapse from there, but no, the audience didn't know it was fake, and we'd even have them standing in line uh, <laughs> with the audience to get in. And, like, we had a thing where a guy won... The funniest lawyer, like Providence, funniest lawyer contest, and he, you know, part of his prize was he got to do a set at the world's famous catchwriting star in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he was up there, and all his friends are just in the audience. These are all our plants, yeah, people yeah. like John Ennis, people, and they're just drunk and awful, and you know, the waitresses. Everybody was in on it uh, except for the audience, and you know, they would harass the waitresses, and it got really ugly, <laughs> and um, behind. The stage, like there's this little, you know, tiny little stage riser, and then directly behind it on the right side was the doorway that led out. We were it was underground, so it led out to this uh, fluorescent light, tight concrete hallway. And this guy would just be so obnoxious, wouldn't leave the stage. And, uh, well, one of the bartenders there, this guy named Rick, who's awesome, this huge, big guy, big bear. And uh, they're on the, Backdrop of all Catcher Rising Stars, the Catcher Rising Star backdrops. It's like bookshelves with stupid little kitschy knickknack things. We had a baseball bat, and then we put a chair that you couldn't see. The audience couldn't see behind the uh, the exit into the hallway. And then we would have this guy taken off stage, and Rick would we just uh, choreographed it so he'd be thrown out. Door would be open. Rick would come walking behind, I'd grab the bat, toss it to him, he would go before the door could close and just start fucking wailing (laughs) at these guys, and, like, really, like, just these guys going, Jesus Christ, and everybody bought it every single time, and then we'd cut to a video uh, of these guys getting beat up and leaving, and then we'd follow one of the characters, and then the show would turn into the show, and then we'd use, we had two stages, and we'd use the tiny little areas, and we'd use them to put sketches up, and so the whole thing would unfold and turn into a sketch show before you knew it. And then eventually, word caught on. We got press, so it's, it would start a little differently. But, but for about six months, it would open with a different fake comic, you know, leading us into a, what became a sketch show.
0: That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that there were you know, bands involved, once again, in Boston. Who were some of the local Boston yeah. bands at that time that you kind of were, were feeling or that were kind of you know around or wanting to be involved
1: well, without a doubt, the Cave Dogs were yeah. the biggest. I mean, we were all super friends, and they were all very funny people. And they had a thing called the Cave Dogs Radio Fun Time Hour that they would do every year, uh, which was like a radio play, a silly radio play that they'd play live, and we did do these little radio shows. And they were easily uh, um, a big part of that. But then also, um, to to a much lesser degree, but still part of it, with, like, the gigolons and... Um, Uh, They did a bunch of shows, I think, and and, uh, I I might be wrong on some of these, but I think, you know, the Bags and the Prime Movers, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think the Slaves did something, and the Prime Movers split, and one of the bands was Slaves, and, and, you know, we did bigger shows. We ended up, uh, towards the end, going to the the Charles Playhouse, and we had different bands uh, each night, and, um, you know... (sighs) I I I don't remember all of them, but um, I'm sure as soon as I get up the phone, it'll occur to me. But um,
0: what about the Neats? But yeah, was, were the Neats around still, and and uh, Dread in the they jam? were around,
1: but I don't think we I don't think we uh, we all worked together in yeah. back that back. Um uh, But they were definitely around. Yeah,
0: it's kind of amazing how like yeah, it's like music is always you know not always, but like you know music figures in. So heavily, and it's tied together so much with this kind of comedy scene that you know is, I guess, labeled broadly at one point alternative comedy, now it's just comedy. But, right, it, it, it like it seems like that's the one thing
1: we gave the world, is <laughs> we took that label away. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: you you cleanse it well, kind of like we were talking earlier, where you know, like we're talking about, you know, at one point it was punk and it was you know this thing, and now it's just it's just music. At this point, yeah. it's like the music that belongs to everyone. Um, but yeah, like I don't wanna keep you obviously and I really appreciate the time you've given, but I, I just there I do kind of have to bring up because it did come up on the show before, John Worcester and, and Tom Sharpling both say that the key moment for them when knowing that their stuff was working as a comedy thing was finding out that you dug the tape. Um, <laughs> what what was your first I guess John Benjamin was involved on that show too uh, by that, by that point or was, how'd you hear about that show? I guess.
1: Um, somebody, uh, somebody sent me, uh, you know, and again, that's community is, is, uh, uh, we're all friends. We all share everything. This, I guess this is all before, you know, YouTube and stuff like that. And, um, somebody sent me, you know, did you check out? And I knew who John was and, and to a lesser degree, Tom, but, uh, um, uh, you know, rock, rotten rule. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it, it's on so many levels. That was my introduction to, uh, uh, those guys and, um, uh, you know, working at like a comedy team and, uh, the, the confidence, <laughs> the, the confidence that John has, and also like Tom as a straight man. is just perfect. Leads them into everything. And then, you know, when they get the callers, <laughs> then as as consistently funny on different levels as it is uh when the guy calls somebody says that madness and then it's oh fuck oh shit you okay yeah i got stung by a bee uh like a little yellow jacket oh geez sorry i'm upstate no no problem oh i have goosebumps now are you allergic um no, no. Okay, no, few, no. Few. Okay. I, There's wasp here and all kinds of
0: shit. I'd be like, this was a terrible right. ending for a podcast if you're allergic and die on the phone <laughs> yeah. with me. Get the Get Yeah. The yeah I'm pen. Like, where are you? John? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, David, please, where are you? <laughs> Why did I come here alone? <laughs> yeah. Um
1: Uh what was I gonna say? Um before you yeah, start dying, we were, had, <laughs> we were talking uh we're talking about Oh yeah, best so show. the the when he says that uh, madness invented ska, <laughs> yeah. and the guy, I think the caller's from New Jersey, if I remember, and he's furious and he's arguing with him. Then they continue on for another couple minutes. The guy hangs up, and then he calls back <laughs> and he goes, I'm holding in my hand uh, whatever. <laughs> The album is that he refers to you know the i'm holding my hand uh decca uh you know from nineteen uh sixty four and then he goes through this whole thing, and then John goes, well, I disagree <laughs> that's, that's the perfect shutdown he doesn't give him anything just i disagree <laughs> he disagrees about the fact, and the guy's so angry he went and he dug up his fucking album <laughs> Furious the whole time, and oh uh, man, that was uh, I mean, there's so much great shit and I have their big, big, big box set but yep. that still remains because of the epicness of the trolling on that and that it really is <laughs> it's so perfect because it's just, a, you know, the ultimate argument settler Yep. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. based on this guy's <laughs> Stupid, uneducated, subjective opinion and people are are furious. Oh and it's absurd. Just it's a list of <laughs> journey. Uh rot. Uh A C D C rule. Uh Judas Priest rot. What? Judas Priest Rot? Yep, they rot. <laughs> and that's it. It's just a guy is <laughs> stupid just compiled this, you know book you'd find at the uh register at Barnes and Nobles as a impulse purchase and they <laughs> give it credence and people allow them to give it that credence by giving it that credence. Oh, it's great.
0: I guess that's the thing. Comedy kind of had that, you know, and like I I remember getting the Just Far A Laugh tapes or or, or bootleg copies of Mr. Show because it was before the DVDs came out. So it was just like old HBO tape copies that people were circulating around. It it, it definitely had that kind of tape trader, underground punk, underground metal quality to it.
1: Very much, yeah.
0: Um, David, I could talk to you all day and I'm not going to punish you about Mr. Show because my God, that would be two podcasts by the time I was done, but I got to go watch you now in Alvin the Chipmunks because my kids love you in that. And, uh, there you go. This yeah. for the kids. You serve, you serve three generations of Abraham men. You, my dad loves your comedy. I love your comedy. And my my kids love your comedy. So from, that's great.
1: Yes. Good. So you got, you're getting, I'm, I'm I'm, in, I'm uh, creating residual revenue exactly. for the future so when i'm an old man those kids will grow up and discover the other comedy and then i'll be able to get my 27 cents
0: exactly you're building a brand the of the year you're catching yeah. them young and keeping them in the the david cross <laughs> brand
1: uh david thank you well, my so pleasure, much dude. damien and uh uh i'm uh yeah absolutely pleasure to talk to you and uh uh this is great fun
0: Thank you, David, for coming on the show. And David will be back for a part two in the future, some point. At some point in the future, I will make sure he comes back. I promise. I promise. Also, I think it's Tim Van Patten that's in class of 1984, not Vince Van Patten, like we thought in the episode. But that's it. That's the only uh, correction that I can think of right now. Any more corrections, check out uh, Turnout of Punk footnotes. That's normally where I get corrected by people that listen to the show. Speaking of people that listen to this show, you and they will be very excited by next week's guest. Next week on the show, forget Jon Stewart. We have the real king of late-night punk TV show hosts. Next week on the show, it is Craig Ferguson. That's right, Craig Ferguson from all sorts of stuff. Celebrity name game, uh, 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 Late, Late 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 Show, uh, so much stuff. So much stuff. But he was also in a slew of amazing Scottish punk bands. All that is on next week's show. It is incredible, I assure you. You will enjoy it. So why not do yourself a favor and subscribe to this show. Tell your friends about this show. Follow me on social media, at left Damien And I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do it. Check out Turned Out Punk Footnotes. Uh, and yeah, I'll see you over there. Thank you for listening.